Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. With your keepers of mysteries, Jen Brinkman, David Bailey, Bob Brinkman. Enter the Sanctum Socorro and be inspired. Welcome to the Sanctum Socorum Podcast, where we plumb the depths of Appendix N, especially as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. Tonight we'll be reviewing one of the works from the famed Appendix N, as turned by the revered Gary Gygax, and helping you to serve it at your DCC RPG table. I am David Beatty, and I also have with me Jen Brinkman. Hey guys. And the ever-lovable Bob Brinkman. Aw, thank you, Bacon Wizard. (laughs) (laughs) Good to see you guys, or I guess uh, maybe I should say hear from you. Yeah, good to hear you too, man. Yeah, okay. So what are we getting into tonight, Bob? Well, our Appendix N selection for this episode is Eye of Cat by Roger Zelazny. The synopsis is, William Blackhorse Singer is the Star Tracker, an expert in the pursuit and capture of exotic life forms. The last warrior of the Navajo people, he is a man out of time and place, adrift in an uncertain future. And now he must join forces with an enemy shapeshifter called Cat, the lone surviving member of an extinct alien race, to track down and eliminate a dangerous extraterrestrial assassin. For Singer, it is a costly collaboration, for once the killer is disposed of, the true hunt is to begin a relentless and deadly chase across worlds and into the heart of ancient mysteries with the hunter as prey. Now, it is also worth noting that this takes place in the 22nd century, so this is more sci-fi than fantasy out of Panic's End, but again... Just a little. (laughs) Certainly we find both in there. It still fits with the DCC motif, I think. Oh, most definitely, most definitely. And, well, most people think of fantasy when they think of Appendix N. There's quite a bit of science fiction in there as well. And Roger Zelazny wrote a lot of both. He's probably best known for the Chronicles of Amber, but some of his other stuff like this or One Night in the Lonesome October, great, great books. Well, it it was interesting. <laughs> um, it, it was very stream of consciousness, Sometimes to the point of being unintelligible. And and what did you say that um, the mumbled portions were, Bob? Well, uh, essentially, as the book progresses, the main character, Singer, he's hired to stop the, the assassin, and there's another group that have been hired to sort of work the same job, and they're all psychics. And they're telepathically communicating back and forth, and so the stream of consciousness blurts are when they're skimming minds and you're getting surface thoughts, and so they're all real jumbled. I swear, if I hadn't been reading it from a paperback book, I certainly would have thought that there was a problem with the EPUB and that things have been scrambled. I 
over the years <laughs> since I last read it, I had forgotten that there was that portion. Well, and see, I thought part of those came from Cat. Well, and some Kat's of those are from Cat. Again, it's that it's that surface thought communication. That part was a little bizarre. I did like the headlines every now and then when they would stop and essentially check the local news. Those were some fun interjections. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like the computer that was suing for its own trademark to itself, and there was all sorts of weird... Euthanasia victim tells all! Yeah, there was a lot of weird technological stories going on, but what's kind of fun is when you read this book, most of the technology, other than you know, the teleportation, is kind of in use. I mean, he's carrying around what is certainly a cell phone or a sat phone, and... Most of the stuff is kind of commonplace, so sitting and reading this doesn't feel so much like science fiction as just a little shift to the future. Or at least it's commonplace to us now. It wasn't back when this was written. Well, exactly. It certainly wasn't commonplace when it was written. It seemed like it was almost out of time to me. There was elements of the future, and then it seemed like it was a throwback to almost kind of a Western feel to it, you know, when they were in the canyons and um, the whole Indian vibe. Singer is 170 years old, which is kind of interesting in and of itself. But I'm right there with you, David, because he is not accepting the new modern times. He's still very much in the 20th century. Back in his day, there were still (laughs) Navajos. Well, and that's the thing, really, if you think about it. He's sort of a man out of time. He's the last Navajo. Beyond that... As he makes the deal with Cat, and Cat says, I will help you stop this assassin, and then I will hunt and kill you. And when he makes that deal, and he's trying to evade Cat, as he's becoming more and more primitive and more and more primal, he ceases being a man of the 20th century, and he rolls back to being a man of, of the 19th, the 18th, the 17th, even the 16th century, as he's mentally diving further and further back along the medicine ways of his people. It's really kind of a neat contrast to, you know, the the flying cars and the teleporters and this whole spiritual journey that he's taking as well. Well said, Bob. <laughs> and also, like the book, very stream of consciousness to the point of being unintelligible. Yeah, it, it, that, there were, I, was, I was telling the guys that early on in the book when I first started reading it, I was, um, my brain started hurting, which is normal for me, but... Um, <laughs> I kept envisioning Dennis Hopper. I don't know if you guys remember the commercials where he would just appear and say, bad things, man, bad things. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of a psychedelic uh, mind trip, it seemed like, with some of these, some parts of it. Yeah, it was almost gratuitous in the way that it was revolving around the Navajo beliefs and everything. Not too long ago, I, I read a couple of novels by the gears called the visitant it was a trilogy and it was all about the the native americans who had an alien visitor and man zelazny didn't quite get the same vibe for me like he was trying to put the native americans into a sci-fi time well keep in mind though it's a little difficult i think and maybe a little unfair to compare roger zelazny to the gears i mean if i recall correctly the gears are actually cultural anthropologists who write fiction and zelazny keeps referring to the anthropologists and keeps calling them down from the navajo point of view right because they're outside and that's Mm -hmm. i think that's kind of important 
the entire book being filled with such interesting imagery and and poetry and tales is really nice but at the end of the day this is not a native american story it's a story with a native american and i i think that's very different i will give him credit because it does come across a lot like the myths and legends that are on my research shelf a lot of the pieces throughout do read with the same tone but it's a bit obscure for sci-fi at that point yeah so I'm just not sure that it blended perfectly for me. Well, it, it was a little disjointing. <laughs> well, I think parts of the book are intentionally disjointed, though. So since he's playing with the dichotomy of the future and the past, of technology and spirituality, I think some disjointedness is sort of to be expected. Now, there were some things throughout the story that I really kind of enjoyed and that was like when the telepaths got together there was a psychanalysis of each one yeah by each other that was really neat i also enjoyed when the telepaths got together and kind of formed their hive mind to contact singer his mind was so primitive that he interpreted them and saw them as a totem pole rising from the ground now that was really cool and he's like but my people didn't make totem poles, which was the first thing that I thought. I'm like, Navajos didn't make totem poles. Why there <laughs> no, totem poles? But he was saying the same thing. So I was like, yeah, it's kind of neat. And so all the heads were speaking to him, and that was the psychics. I thought that was a lot of fun. And think about it, there's so many things from the book that can be statted, uh, like the traveling rock, the giant oh, yeah. boulder that, that just follows things and rolls them down. Or the tracking bear that once it gets your scent, it follows you till it kills you. Which in a lot of ways was like the traveling rock. Some of these legends sort of blur together, I suppose. A lot of patron fodder, like Monster Slayer, Born of Water, Raven, or any other of the tricksters, really. Cat would be yeah, really cat. cool. Yeah, Cat. That was, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was very cool. It reminded me a little bit, um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie The Relic. Did you ever see that? Yeah. It reminded me of that creature that's in that. Uh, it reminded me Very of the creature close. a little bit of Mimic because he keeps seeing Cat and Cat is turned into kind of a misshapen man in a trench coat with a hat pulled low and that really reminded me of the bug men in Mimic. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that. Now with the fables that they keep referring back to, is it just me or was the coyote and traveling rock kind of an allegory to Singer and Cat? Yeah, I could see that. You know, I hadn't really thought about it, but... And again, we don't need to worry about spoilers. I mean, the, the book is 33 years old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it is, because the story Jen's talking about, where Coyote is running from Traveling Rock, and the birds come to help him, and they pick it all apart, and it's helpless, and then he's like, oh, I didn't need your help, and so they put it back together and send it back after him. In a lot of ways, there's the moment where Cat is, as far as we can tell, he's dead. We've seen his corpse, things have caved in on him, and yet Cat keeps coming to him in his mind. It's sort of like, ha, it's done, I've won. Oh, well, you celebrated victory too soon. They talk about that whole concept of what we, what we defeat isn't left behind, it stays with us. And, I, I, yeah, I, th I think allegorically that, that really strikes well. So by that token, pretty much all Native American myths and legends, you know, the, the animals in there, you've got crow, 
raven, coyote, any of those could be portrayed as patrons or monsters. Any of the jewelry or artifacts could come across as magic items. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. All, all of those songs that Singer is reciting as he's on his journey, those could be spells. Oh, very much so. And because he's using them to sort of evoke things, and they talk about them as shamanistic magic. And some of the monsters they mention are only by name, like the Horned Monster or mm-hmm. the Rock Monster Eagle. It's kind of a big thing for rocks and things that follow. But some of the <laughs> names are just the evocative. They're, they're that in the you, canyons. <laughs> well, yeah, I could just see someone turning to Doug Kovacs and saying, hey, the monster's called the Horned Monster. Go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I can picture this horrifying thing covered in horns and antlers. And uh, I could stat that. You could make an entire module in this theme. Which would be a little, it'd be a little refreshing, actually, because in this place, the native peoples aren't savages to be overcome. No, they're just sadly on their way out. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'll give you that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of neat stuff in there. What do you think, David? What were you stat up? What were the um, they used a, a means of transportation in the novel, which was pretty cool. Um, they would step into this booth and punch in uh, some coordinates and be teleported. I can't remember what the exact terminology is. They were trip boxes. Trip boxes, that's right. I thought Although they generally cool. just, and they don't mention that as often. Generally they just talk about transporter and leaving you know, leaving the transporter slips in there as he's trying to get away from Cat. Yeah. But and they were there's like the credit slips, right? So they could, because they even said, hey, charge my account at one point. That was kind of cool, and if you wanted to kind of emulate that with your DCC campaign, even though it, you know, I think it's a futuristic element, so it may fit better in Mutant Crawl Classics when that's released, or uh, Metamorphosis Alpha, as it is, but those are kind of cool. You could even throw a, I think you could throw them into a DCC game, you know, as a, maybe a way to get from point A to point B and, you know, kind of throw something of new in, I guess, when you think of the old horse and wagon and other well, mo- and- means... And mentioning that, just the concept of the teleporter itself harkens back to a lot of the early computer adventure games like Wizardry or Bard's Tale, where you'd be walking along, you're mapping on your graph paper, so you've got your little 16 by 16 dungeon map, (laughs) and you'd step on a square, and you wouldn't know it, but you were someplace wholly different, and your maps were screwed up. Well, what I liked about these trip boxes is that they didn't transport you in time. It was just to a different location. Yeah. So that pretty... that was kind of a, a refreshing change in in the scheme of things. Well, in the way they're described, they're almost like open-doored phone booths. So, yeah. you know, they've got... Essentially, they have cell phones in here, and they replace their phone booths with teleporters. Come on, science. Get on this. <laughs> I, you know. I like that. I love the creature cat and i think that was probably my favorite character you, know, you kind of root for him don't you yeah you do <laughs> because like, ah, it's... singer you captured him it's your fault <laughs> and you know it seemed like there were a lot of monsters or creatures running around several years into the past of the story and i think that singer had pretty much was he one of the few remaining hunters that were left trackers? he was considered the best because he had they talked about how he stocked the entire zoo because he had traveled from world to world exactly uh, hunting all these things and he was supposed to be like the best so i think a class would be kind of cool if you had a tracker or like monster hunter class that would be kind of neat you could do that some of the guns that they mentioned were pretty cool i think uh, he had a 
I think it was described as almost like a taser-like device that he had actually defeated Cat with. Um, right, and the, and he it was sort of by accident because he didn't realize that yeah, Cat was yeah. really uh, vulnerable to electricity. And what was the old? Was it? I, I want to say thud gun or thump gun was. It was a laser pistol of some yeah, sort. Yeah, it had a kind of a cool name, and unfortunately, it's it's. It was mentioned mind. once, and it moved on. Yeah, when he was in the canyons, I think. Just like the power shovel. You know, they, they, <laughs> they named it and then moved on. And I'm going, wait, but from Metamorphosis Alpha, I know what this thing is. And exactly. it can be a weapon, too. <laughs> and the uh, the cars, they were a little uh, futuristic. The I think float cars, is that what they were called? Those would be kind of cool to stat up. At float cars, there was the, the snub gun. Snub gun, oh, that's, that's what I was what trying to Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, liked the, I liked the news discs. Yeah. <laughs> which you could even put in as you know, quote-unquote magic items in any game. Yeah. There's a ton of stuff to stat in this. I mean, if, you, if you're looking for things to throw into your homebrew campaign, whether it's DCC or Metamorphosis Alpha or, you know, this soon-to-be-released, I'm guessing, uh, MCC, you know, this, to <laughs> me, it's, it's chock full of things that you could probably use for any of those games. Yeah. And some of it sounds a little familiar, like I've encountered a few of these items, like the strips that you put into the trip boxes uh, when we were playing Savage Worlds with some friends recently. Yeah, he was using something similar. He was he was using threads, and there's a lot of concepts in there that you can really draw from, I think. And besides stuff you can stat, there's a few really neat things you can bring to the table if oh, you're yeah. running an adventure of this theme. I mean, the obvious, of course, is any recordings of Native American chants and drums. Um, oh, yes, I, I can provide a couple uh, links to stuff I was just listening to tonight. Well, that would be very cool. <laughs> and with your uh, musical background you two could probably get a couple of drums and uh go to town on those while you're running the game that would be kind of cool yeah. I, I i sing no. i'm actually hypnotized by percussion uh, <laughs> yeah i wait for it to come around on the guitar again and again <laughs> it's my kryptonite i i was thinking of the traveling rock story you could just lay out a couple of pebbles to represent that Oh, yeah. Any Navajo artifacts, you know, turquoise or whatnot. And, I mean, come on, the guy was wearing jeans. He was wearing, in the 22nd century, Levi's and a red plaid flannel shirt. And he kept his earrings in his pocket when he was on the hunt. Yeah, so they wouldn't... some turquoise earrings, I remember. So they wouldn't jingle, yeah. There was also some, uh, maybe towards the end of the novel, it seemed like he was having more of a, a spirit trip, and he kept running into the totem, which was the collective of the psychics. Oh, because he passed into the spirit world. Well, sort of, point. yeah. Mentally, he had. It, you're not really sure. By the end of the book, you're not sure if he has literally gone into the spirit world or not. But then when the psychics are developing the totem again, one of the psychics who died is still there in the totem speaking. Yeah, that was that was really neat, and that's kind of a, a theme or effect that might be cool to steal for an adventure. And you could even use a totem, though. How many of you, I mean, in the road trips that you've taken on vacations, you know, you stop into some of these stores sometimes with some crafts and things, and I can't think of the times where I haven't seen, like, a little totem, so that would be kind of cool. You know, this this would be the perfect adventure if you're traveling out west to search in the what I like to call the arts and crap section of, <laughs> of any truck stop, and uh, you exactly. could probably load down with interesting things to add flavor to the table. 
All the handmade stuff, yeah. One of the things I found most interesting was at the back of the book, there was an ad for an audio version, and they said, includes music and sound effects. <laughs> so if you're actually taking something, like one of the encounters into your game, you could potentially use the sound effects for it, too. You know, who knows? They might have something specific for the projected telepathic voice that Cat uses. Yeah. Or, which also brings for sound effects, certainly any environmental sounds of big cats, like jaguars and things like that, to sort of ramp up that tension a little bit. Or even something of the large monster that you're not sure what it might be. Yeah. But you know it's watching you. I actually uh, dug around and threw some stuff onto a Spotify playlist that reminded me of some of the parts in the uh, book, as well as some sound effects. Oh, look at some, you! Yeah, yeah, like some deep cat growls, some lions. <laughs> I mean, that's well, awesome. Yeah, so uh, there's a lot of stuff on Spotify, including that Native American chants and drums and music. So there's a lot of stuff in there if you want to add some music or even some sound effects to your game. Look at you. You are so far ahead of us. And as <laughs> always, when, when David Beatty starts putting together Spotify lists, we will provide links to them as well on the site so that you can <laughs> see exactly what is spilling out of his crazed mind. Yes. And besides you know, the the things to stat, besides the the things to sit on the table to creep out your players. There is a couple modules to me have at least, I would say more than a passing resemblance. I mean, first of all, I think, you know, Doom of the Savage Kings just replace the thing with cat. Oh yeah. And think how that gets ramped up all of a sudden when it's a telepathic one-eyed shape-shifting cat. Good luck with that spear. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but, I, but I think that could really add a whole new level of creepy, or if you wanted to reskin that module so that people don't recognize it right away, like has been done with so many other adventures, it would be a good one to reskin that way. But other ones that come to my mind would almost fit as the early adventures of Singer, where there's not just a big creature at the end, but you know about it going in like tracking the undulating corruption or the people of the pit with the giant tentacles. The size of the tentacle creature from that alone is godlike <laughs> and otherworldly. And it just, to me, sort of fits that feel of the sort of things that Singer would have done going world to world. Well, for the otherworldly creatures, I tried to limit my list here. The 998th Wizards Conclave has just a treasure trove for you in the different races that are available and since they were saying that Singer had captured so many from different worlds, it actually has a table of alien species to roll up. That's cool. Oh, that is cool. Of course, there's Tower Out of Time, where originally in the module as it's written, there are some prehistoric creatures, but I've seen that skinned and so easily swapped out. The tower itself comes from a different time, so why can't all of the creatures inside it? Yeah. Well, and with Tower Out of Time, that would so easily, if you wanted to, to skin it for the West, it could be, you know, this giant foreboding Pueblo. Yeah. Very much so. Or one of the old Ananasi cliff dwellings. Which could also serve as one of the transportation methods. Oh, yeah. Wow. But the the cover of 
of Glipcario's Gambit <laughs> is really one of the main things I was thinking of when I was uh, Yeah, that was the first the... thing I thought of as a cover. <laughs> Until you realized that Cat only had one eye? Well, <laughs> but the, the theme of the adventure is pretty similar, too, because you capture Cat at the beginning, and not to give too much away about the adventure, but you're not done yet. You've got to go get him again, basically. Recapture. Well, and that certainly pairs up nicely with this. Bob, I think you'll like this one best. Remember the Emerald Enchanter and the Menagerie? Oh, I hated that guy. <laughs> no, no, the Menagerie. Oh, oh, yeah. That reminded me of the zoo. Oh. Yes, well, especially, and what's really kind of interesting, and, and again, Zelazny's tech was very prescient, I think, in that... In the 80s, zoos were zoos. I mean, they were, they were quote-unquote habitats, but they were zoos. And when he goes to visit Cat and he finally reaches out and realizes that he is intelligent, he's going to help him break out, he's like, well, they'll never notice anyway because I blend into this habitat so well because they're living in full-fledged habitats, which is something that we see more of now. Yeah. Oh, he was very yeah. forward-looking as he wrote this. But you could put Cat or any of those other captured creatures in the menagerie in that and pretty much provide a sidetrack. Yeah, because Cat or Following Bear could just ruin a party's day. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> well, by sidetrack, I meant more along the lines of you have to talk to and work out a deal with one of them to free them, you know, etc. Or it could be done as a follow-up after the Emerald Enchanter is defeated. There's still the creatures in the menagerie, and they start getting out. Yeah. Any number of ways. You're right. That's a really good one. I tend to, when I think of that adventure, I just tend to focus on how my character nearly died. Uh, we all have our favorite parts. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I don't know if almost dying was my favorite part, but barely living was. It might have been mine. It was the closest I've come. Oh no! No, it wasn't even the closest you've come. I've been recovered like three or four times. Oh, those were the early days. Did um, you guys get any kind of a crawl jammer feel to this? Because I could see this very easily fitting in with that. Um, crawl jammer? Yeah, that would go with the other worldly view. Yeah. Um, oh, certainly. Traveling from world to world. Although they never explain how that was done. Because they specifically said that the trip boxes were used just to move from place to place, not from time to time. It was a network, almost like a phone network, so they probably were traveling using ships would be probably the Yeah, I was thinking that guess. was mentioned. Was there not? Because the, the whole story starts with this alien menace that's coming. I guess she's a assassin, and she's coming mm -hmm. to disrupt a delegation, I believe, or... Right, yeah. from another world. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, that was... I mean, that, that screamed crawl jammer to me. Oh, definitely. And the ironic part is Singer made that deal with Cat because he figured that Cat would be the only one that could take this woman out. Yeah. And Cat uh, made really short work of her, and they <laughs> never explained how. They, you heard her, yeah. It, it was just, it's done. And the way it just kind of trails off into silence for that, and they move on. And, and then, like, then they discuss, huh. <laughs> and then there's the portion in the headlines where they discuss the body being found. Yeah. Um... I, I don't remember that particular headline. I remember the uh, the reporter that met Singer on his way into a trip box. Oh, and, that's what I was thinking. Oh, yeah. And yes. she tried to detain him because she was just looking for the story. 
and he pushed her out and said, no, don't come with me, and the headline later was that the reporter was found brutally slain. Against the Atomic Overlord really fit for me, because it's also got, it, it starts in a desert and canyon atmosphere, mm. and there are transportation methods that only get you from one side of the map to the other. If you're lucky, you'll get from one side of the map to the other. <laughs> <laughs> But for the transportation, the way station actually stood out for me because that had, it was essentially a, a mining area that had magic imbued to the rails uh -huh. so they could get from one place to another. Uh, you know, it was a very expensive mode of travel, but something had happened down in the mine and that's essentially what you have to figure out in the adventure. And that one is from Purple Duck and it is written by our quasi-local friend David I'm not going to murder his last name because it's <laughs> Polish and there's like no vowels and I can't pronounce it ever. <laughs> I think right now the only Polish name we can safely pronounce is Muscovich so Huzzah, yeah <laughs> So if David's listening, I know he likes literary podcasts too so hopefully this has found its way into his rotation I'm sure he'll forgive me rather than listen to yet another person or we'll get an angry email with phonetic spelling. And, you know, <laughs> phonetic spelling would be good. I, I'd be I'd be okay with that. Yeah. And besides Crawl Jammer, this would be easy to adapt to Crawling Under a Broken Moon. Yes, I thought of that as well. Especially because that seems to be another one where they're kind of fighting the fact that time keeps moving forward, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Well, and especially when you look at Crawling Under a Broken Moon... It, I mean, the the source material that inspires it is something that at least folks of my generation are so familiar with. I mean, it draws heavily from things like Thundar the Barbarian, and that is a world, certainly, that Cat could exist in very easily, where you could have the last Navajo. You could do a lot with that in that setting. And David mentioning MCC, it reminds me of when Jim Wampler kind of colored in the cover of Glipcario's Gambit and reskinned it for one of his MCC playtests. Oh. Okay, that that hits the nail on the head for this particular book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you know, talking about various settings sort of brings us to the featured product for the show, Black Powder, Black Magic. Oh, yeah. Ooh, I, you know, as, <laughs> as As a zine goes to begin with, the concept of Weird West is... I think near and dear to several people's hearts, whether it be from Wild Wild West or... The original. Bone Tomahawk, <laughs> uh, more recently. Oh, 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 Bob, yeah, no. Yeah, well, the yes. good, good movie, brutal ending. Oh, awesome um, movie. It's, Weird West has certainly had kind of a resurgence of popularity, and it's a really nice fit, I think, for DCC going going through the issues but just the western feel this would be so easy to adapt into that world into black powder black yeah. magic with with all of the strange goings on and making the native magic real magic you could do a lot with it well yeah they include some sorcery and i think we get a a patron per volume so far, yeah, there, yeah. there have been two patrons in the two issues. And for those of you who, who might not know what Black Powder, Black Magic is, it's a fanzine, and it's being made by Carl Bussler and Eric Hoffman. Yeah, uh, Stormlord Publishing. Yeah, yes. so if you haven't heard of that, you guys definitely should pick it up. 
because that's what we're talking about right now. <laughs> they've they've done some really really good stuff. Yeah, I almost feel like one of those appears in the Devil's Cauldron, which is the adventure in Volume One, because you've got a Voodoo priest. Mm, yes, and they even so, mentioned that that his patron is Baron Samdi. And yeah, it really just kind of ties together their entire product line, if, if you ask me. But I, I liked that comparison. You know, you didn't have a shaman in there, but you had this priest who was doing essentially the, taking the same role. Uh, they've also got stats for the Sioux tribe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which, which is a fun tie-in because one of the characters in Eye of Cat, uh, his last name was Iron Bear, and his father was Sue. And he had just been getting to know his father's heritage right after he had passed. Yeah, that's that's very true. Well, I'd, and then they've got they've got the neat rules for for firearms. I think it's the second issue where they introduce the mighty deed for fanning. Well, actually, I think that's in the first. Uh, Is yeah. that in the first? Yeah, that's a pretty cool little rule they threw for, in. For uh, multiple shots. Yes. With a revolver, yeah. So yeah, it's a uh, a DCC esque rule, I'd say. Oh, sure. um, well, using it as a mighty deed, I think that works really well. Let's face it; depending on the mighty deed or the crit you get, you're going to do extra damage or get an extra attack. So yeah. fanning certainly fits right in. And I think yes, there have been there have been Western role playing games going all the way back to Boot Hill, but. Boot Hill always struck me as a little dry. I loved watching The Rifleman with Chuck Connors, but I don't think I'd ever want to play it. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so having having that weird West vibe where, you know, there's there's a voodoo priest on on the train or you know, looking at some of the old movies that you know, you might have you might ride into a canyon and encounter a Tyrannosaurus. There's there's plenty of really cool material to draw from uh, for Black Powder, Black Magic, and I think Eye of Cat certainly belongs in that list. Definitely a good fit for it. Most certainly. And you know the fact that in the, uh, the Devil's Cauldron Adventure, they even talk about the Sioux counting coup as they're riding in. You know, they, might, they may or may not attack you. In, you know, individually, they might just count coup and get as close as they can. That was really cool. Yeah. So... Well, we would love to see what our listeners create based on the books we cover. If you bring this to your table or insert some of Eye of Cat into your Black Powder Black Magic setting, because I know some of you are out there running uh, your own Weird West games with DCC, uh, please submit your creations to us at thehub at sanctum.media. Or you could even share via social media. We are on G Plus and Twitter, and we'll be more than happy to post them on the site with our show's material. We'll get them into a future issue of our companion. And as always, if you've got a special road crew or convention game coming up, let us know. We're happy to help you spread the word. I know times are kind of lean on the cons right now, but spring's coming. The nerds are hibernating. <laughs> well, speaking of times that are coming, you know. This is this is our last show of the year. Oh. It will be. F- it is because uh, this is going to air holidays. on the 18th, so <laughs> a week before Christmas, and two weeks before New Year's. We'll be back on the 8th, 
with with special stuff and special guests and it'll be it'll be a lot of fun and then we'll get back on track with a schedule how yeah. about that <laughs> stupid holidays give us time to breathe really you know because christmas <laughs> christmas will give us plenty of time to to write more material and while we're sobering up while david is sobering up from new year's <laughs> and, and Actually, promise even yeah uh, yeah i'm on duty this new year so i'll be uh, playing fireman so i won't be able to take part of any uh, spirits well and anyone in david's area don't be an idiot don't make him work too hard either that or if you've got a police scanner and you hear about a fire go out there bring a keg as soon as they're done just start start pouring it down his throat <laughs> no but uh seriously you guys that are listening we really would love to not only have any suggestions that you might have for appendix and reading it's something that you might want us to cover but you know, feel free to stat stuff up. Send us any ideas, magic items, anything that you think is cool. We would love to see it. And actually, something that would be really cool. You know, we use, we get, we get quite a bit of Creative Commons art to fill holes and and our needs for the zine. But anybody that wants to draw something up, send it on into Definitely. us. It doesn't have to be a professional level illustration. We're we're doing a zine. You should see the things that I used to submit to zines. But we're not opposed to professional level illustrations. No, 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 we're not opposed to professional level. We are a not-for-profit organization. <laughs> yes, we are a for-expenditure <laughs> That is exactly it. Well, and who knows, since Christmas is coming up, uh, maybe we'll be posting a couple little promotions to whet your appetite while you're waiting for the next show. Awesome. Yeah. So, we hope you've heard something in this show that inspires you, and thanks for listening. Have a great night and a holiday season. Merry Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, Festivus. Happy Krampus. Yeah. <laughs> Take care, everybody. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum Podcast. Join us in three weeks' time when we discuss Manly Wade Wellman, Silver John the Balladeer, and The Chained Coffin with author Michael Curtis. Sanctum Secorum Podcast has been a production of Sanctum Media. Copyright 2015. I'm bored. Me too. This 24th level dark elf barbarian assassin is lame. Hey, want excitement? I do. Want adventure? Yeah! Then just open up a vein and pray to the Dark Master! Burn some luck and roll a die. Now you're ready to listen to Spellburn! Welcome to Spellburn, a podcast about the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game and old-school adventuring. Join the band and party like it's 1974!
guys, can I play? Sure! Check us out at spellburn.com or wherever fine iTunes are served. Oh, cool! I summoned a demon horde!